0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Weiss.
1: Good afternoon, folks. Uh, It's Lou Weiss here, and uh, Tim, are you with us? Well folks, we're having uh technical difficulties. Uh I'm not sure if uh we are on air at the moment. Bear with me one moment. Uh okay, we're having um, te- technical I, I, difficulties I, today. But it seems I, I as though I'm Tim on with you, Lou. Yes, you are. Welcome aboard. Having a little <laughs> uh little technical difficulty today. Um, and we are going to be having uh, our uh, our monthly guest, uh, Brad Holcomb, who's the committee chair of the Institute Supply of Supply Management. Uh, we will be having uh, Tony Nieves uh, later on in the show, who's going to be giving us the non-manufacturing uh, report for uh, the month of uh, December. And we are also going to be having... Um, Uh, Tim, if you can give us the uh, intro for uh, Jock O'Connell.
2: Sure. I'd be glad to.
1: Um,
2: Jock O'Connell is Beacon Economics uh, and International Trade Advisor. and One of California's foremost authorities on world trade, global economic trends, and the internationalization of the golden state's economy. Uh, Mr. O'Connell is also a former staff uh, advisor to the California Commission for Economic Development, and member of the California Economic Strategy Panel's Technical Advisory Group. Mm-hmm. So we are going to uh, welcome Jock to the show. Jock, are you with us? Yes, good to be with you. Great, great. And uh, Brad Holcomb is the uh, committee chair for the Manufacturing Report on Business, who graciously joins us uh, each month to share with us what's happening with the Manufacturing Report on Business. At around 10.30, we'll have Tony Nieves with the non-manufacturing report. Brad, how are you today?
3: I'm just fine. Thank you very much, and uh, hello to everyone, and Happy New Year.
1: Uh, same to you, Brad. And uh, I want to apologize to our listeners today that we had a 10-minute uh, technical glitch uh, with regards to the Internet, but we're alive and well, and uh, every, every show we learn new lessons. So that said, uh, Tim, uh, Brad,
2: why don't we, uh, start to go into your report? We've asked Jock to join us on the show because he's on the ground in California and has been kind of watching the, uh, import and export situation with the ports. So we'll uh, get some feedback from Jock in a couple of minutes, but I'd love to hear what's going on with the ISM report. Go ahead, Brad.
3: Very, very good. And, and hello to you, Jock, um, the, the PMI for December was 55.5, and it's, I'm really happy to be able to talk about that um, because uh, it's, a, it's a nice, strong finish to a very, very good year, despite the fact that the PMI is down 3.2 percentage points uh, from November. But at 55.5, that's still representative of a 4.1% uh, increase in, in real GDP, so that's very, very meaningful. We're coming off some, some really strong highs. Uh, we hit 59 a couple of times, including in October, um, and then, as I said, down 3.2 percentage points. But not to worry, uh, this is a solid report, and um, happy to, to discuss it in, in more detail.
2: Well, Brad, we're going Let to me uh, take an opportunity to do that. Go ahead and, and jump into any one of these sections you want to, and then uh, we do want to talk about exports and imports with, uh, with Jock when we get you in mil- a moment. Go ahead, Brad.
3: Very good. Let me give it a broad brush here. Um, as we've discussed uh, each month, there are five components mm-hmm. that that factor into the PMI, and those include new orders, production, employment, supplier deliveries, and inventories. Uh, New orders at 57.3, while down 8.7 off an incredible high of 66 uh, is still a strong number. Uh, Production as well at 58.8, solid, uh, even though down in terms of the growth rate uh, by 5.6%. But then let's look at some some that are uh, as as interesting as any employment up 1.9 percentage points to 56.8. And I think that's very meaningful because uh, our manufacturers will only add to the employment ranks when they have a good outlook and anticipation of strong new orders over the coming months. So up 1.9 percentage points Uh, is a strong, you know, sort of forward-looking indicator. Uh, Supplier deliveries, and I think that uh, the jock may have some comments about uh, some of the factors uh, playing in here. Supplier deliveries is slowing faster at 59.3, and that means that, you know, suppliers are, are just having a hard time keeping up for one reason or another, and I suspect that imports of raw materials is is part of that story, although I can't tease it out in terms of a specific impact, but nevertheless, uh, supplier deliveries is uh, slowing faster. Now, inventories as well, uh, undoubtedly impacted by uh, the West Coast port situation, as well as other factors, down 6 percentage points, now contracting from growing last month, down to forty five point five, a rather low point, and it is one of the factors that that brings down the PMI uh, from from where it's been. So those are the five uh, that go directly into PMI. Then uh, finishing up uh, the other metrics that we follow, customer inventories of finished goods, uh, too low, down five and a half points to forty four point five. That, to me, indicates uh, some significant sell-through in the December holiday time frame and an appetite to restock shells going forward. Uh, prices, uh, it's been a big story for the last couple of months, down another six percentage points on top of nine percentage points last month, now to 38.5, decreasing faster, uh, largely due to... Uh, the oil uh, situation that we all are aware of when we fill up at the gas pump. Uh, Backlog of orders growing. That's good news. Um, Exports of finished goods at 52, while down three percentage points, uh, still a a positive uh, export number now for 25 consecutive months. And then finally on our list, imports largely of raw materials, uh, still a solid at fifty-five uh, percentage points, but down one percent from last month. And I'll I'll just add that there are a number of comments that we're listing this month relative to the West Coast port situation, impacting the incoming material situation. So there's a broad brush for you.
2: I oh, appreciate it, Brad. Uh- Chuck, uh, uh, I'm sure Luke's got a qu- question for you, but uh, what uh, is your read from an international trade perspective on what's happening at the West Coast ports?
4: Well, as you know, the uh, International Longshore and Warehouse Workers Union has been working without a contract since July 1st. They've been in contract talks with the representatives of the steamship lines and the port terminal operators. Uh, since May, and uh, still have not reached a resolution of most of the major issues that are at dispute. The most recent development is that yesterday the Federal Mediation Service announced that it had been asked to get involved, and so there's uh, a a fair amount of excitement now out here in California that this might prompt a a rather swift resolution of the dispute. Unfortunately, I don't share that impression. The, The Federal Mediation Service does have a fine track record in general uh, resolving uh, in fairly expeditious fashion about 85 to 90 percent of the cases that it's been called in to, to help mediate. But it's also had some very conspicuous failures. We uh, remember the, the inability of the Mediation Service to resolve the dispute between the, the NFL and the, uh, and the Football Players Union. Uh, similarly, they were unable to resolve a dispute between the National Hockey League uh, that led to a lockout and partial loss of games and, and revenue for that season about two years ago. And uh, even when they were successful in negotiating a an agreement uh, between the NFL and its referees union, uh, they were at the table with both sides for about four months before that was uh, that was finally resolved. So. Simply by having the Federal Mediation Service enter the, the negotiations now, is not a slam dunk guarantee that we're going to see uh, harmony, labor harmony on the West Coast docks anytime soon. Now, this will continue <laughs> to this will continue to affect um, manufacturers as well as retailers uh, throughout the nation, particularly those who have come to rely upon components and raw materials that they're importing from uh, uh, sources in Asia coming through the West Coast port. Those those have been delayed uh, uh, for at least several days Um, and, in some cases, apparently causing interruptions in manufacturing operations throughout the country.
1: Uh, Jock, let me ask you a question. Uh, We've been, uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio has been talking about the uh, port issue now for uh, actually several months um, it's only been really within the last 24 hours that it seems as though that uh, mainstream news media has uh, awakened and decided to get into the game. Why have they uh, not uh, been involved in this? Why, why, why is it that our daily news has been ignoring something that can drastically affect our, our country's economy? You, do you have any thoughts on that?
4: I think they've been spasmodic in addressing it. I, I in fact, was on NBC Nightly News about uh, five or six weeks ago when they did a report uh, on some of the congestion at the ports and, and how that, this was affecting uh, importers and exporters. Um, but it's been just that. The, the national press, uh, the mainstream press has been spasmodic in at its attention to this, I, I think in large part because uh, the average consumer really hasn't been feeling an impact. Uh, the, uh, goods, goods, goods have been coming in. Uh, importers, for retailers, for example, took the precaution for the most part of uh, expediting their orders and, and bringing uh, goods into the country uh, earlier than normal. So we saw surges in cargo uh, throughout the summer, clearly goods that were earmarked for, for the Christmas holiday season. In one absolutely ludicrous case, I, I recall back in uh, uh, at the end of July walking into a, a store in, in Vacaville, California, in northern California, and seeing that they were preparing to lay out their Halloween costumes. This was three months before Halloween. Uh, So a number of retailers in particular, and and I imagine a lot of retailers, uh, decided to hedge their bets and and to order goods early uh, so that they'd have something stockpiled against uh, possible foreclosure or or severe congestion that would interrupt their supply chains.
1: I, I think maybe part of that was because those folks are on the West Coast, uh, we being on the East Coast, uh, we really didn't hear a whole whole lot about this until, uh, you know, recent uh, three months ago. Uh, so it's been kind of uh, off of the uh, radar scope. And uh, considering that 40% of our exports go through California and 30% of our imports, or I might have them backwards actually, uh, goes through California. Say again?
4: That was the other way around.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's a significant story, and the fact that uh, Washington, uh, our uh, Mr. President, has been basically ignoring this also, uh, I feel, has been um, disappointing at best. There, I well, said I think the extent,
4: to the extent that I've seen coverage on the East Coast, it's it's been the anticipation that this will help. Uh, ports up along the along the eastern seaboard and the Gulf Coast uh, to secure more of the trans-Pacific trade that uh, has been moving through West Coast ports and particularly through the uh, the gigantic complex at the ports of LA and Long Beach in Southern California. Uh, everyone in, uh, up and down the eastern seaboard and the Gulf or Coast are anticipating the the opening of the new set of locks of Panama, which will enable uh, very large vessels to. Uh, to transit the canal, and uh, I think what they're, to the extent that I've been watching the press coverage on the East Coast, it's, it's been in the context of, oh, whoopee, uh, shippers are going to divert their cargoes away from West Coast ports and we'll be the beneficiaries. Uh,
1: do, you feel, uh, do you feel as though that once uh, importers and exporters start using the East Coast, that uh, the California ports have a, a big uh, doo-doo problem?
4: Well, I think it's problems up and down the coast. I mean, some of the more intractable labor issues that actually involve uh, uh, ports in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Seattle, Tacoma, uh, Port of Portland, uh, L.A. Long Beach is an unusual case because it's so huge. Uh, the expectation is that, uh, yes, they will lose some share of trans-Pacific cargo moving westbound toward the United States, uh, to the Panama Canal and then through the canal to the east and Gulf Coast, uh, but that it it, it it will be a case of what kinds of cargos they'll lose. And, and generally speaking, uh, the economics work out that high-value goods will continue to move through West Coast ports because they can be brought to market throughout the United States quicker than than all water shipments to the east or Gulf Coast. Well,
1: uh, That's true. That's true.
2: Uh, Brad, in your report last month, there was an inkling of uh, comments from your uh, respondents that there might be an issue. What were some of the comments in uh, this report uh, relating to uh, West Coast issues?
3: Well, I highlighted three specific comments uh, this month, and and the comments have been growing in number and, and emphasis as well. And the first one from Fabricated Metal Products, near and dear to to your heart, uh, says the following, West Coast port issues have greatly impacted our incoming materials. We are air freighting many parts from Japan and Asia to support production while parts sit at the dock. The next one from the textile mills industry, West Coast ports are creating delays for imported goods. And then finally from machinery, Uh, which Jock alluded to in terms of high-value goods, the West Coast port slowdown is really affecting deliveries of our Asian purchases. And, of course, we talk about this uh, on the uh, various media outlets, uh, in this case on Monday when we released our report, uh, to provide some sensitivity and emphasis uh, as well.
2: So you had a chance to... uh... Speak with uh, the usual, instance, I know you're on the, the Wall Street Journal report and the like, about uh, this issue?
3: Uh, yes. Uh, you know, my day, like like Tony's, my colleague, uh, on our release date is full of calls to Wall Street media, including Wall Street Journal, as you mentioned, A.T., Reuters, uh, Market Watch, uh, Live Live. Uh, Radio broadcasts on Bloomberg, etc., so we try to get uh, the news out there and uh, try to educate uh, our listeners as as well
1: speaking about educating uh, your listeners you you have a formula uh, that you 've uh, told us about a couple of times, and uh, on calculating um, I think it's new orders and inventory. Could you uh, give right. our listeners right. a little insight into that little uh, golden nugget of yours? Yeah. One of the
3: sort of side uh, metrics that I, that I put together and use for my own uh, awareness is new orders index minus the inventories index. And time I see a differential of five or greater, that's, that's really positive for me because, you know, orders is leading inventory. So there's a, a need to, to refill inventories in order to fulfill new orders going forward. And this month, it's at 11.8. Uh, so that's a very strong number. Um, but again, the whole report is strong, despite the fact that you see some negative numbers in terms of change. We're still talking about significant growth. And at 55.5, that means December was uh, considerably stronger than, than November, uh, despite the fact that the rate of growth uh, was slowed down a bit. Um, and if you'll give me a moment, I'd like to talk about a longer-term trend uh, as well that I've picked up as we put uh, 2014 in the drawer. And, and that is to say that Let's look at the average PMI from 2012 to 13 to 14. Uh, In 2012, the average PMI was 51.8. 2013, 53.9. That's up 2.1 percentage points for the average. And 2014, 55.8, up another 1.9 percentage points. 2014 over the previous year. So we have a a very solid uh, three-year trend, and I'd like to look at uh, annual trends, longer-term trends, as well as to -to month-to-month and our semi-annuals as well in order to really internalize and get your head around what's happening in manufacture, which is a pretty solid story for the U.S. economy.
1: Everything that we are uh, hearing and reading uh, recently, as the old year closed and the new year has begun, uh, seems that uh, all the prognosticators and uh, soothsayers and forecasters are saying that uh, 2015 looks to be a strong year going forward, uh, notwithstanding the port uh, issue. Um, And I, I know you hate when I do this to you, But how do you feel forecasting forward as to where this year is going uh, in view of the last three?
3: Well, with our fresh semi-annual report uh, delivered uh, to the media on December 9th, I don't feel so bad because I'm supported by a panel of 350 procurement professionals in their forecast for next year, and it is very, very strong. Um, And the headline number in terms of our forecast is that revenues on average will increase 5.6 percentage points. And that is uh, different and better than 3.6 percent that we closed off 2014. So 5.6 percent, exactly two full percentage points uh, increase in revenues for next year. And, you know, other important metrics uh, can be found on this full report on www.ism.ws as well. Uh, again, it's it's a great uh, forecast reflecting our anticipation of good growth in 2015.
2: Now, Brad, uh, you presented that report with uh, Tony Nieves. Is that correct?
3: Uh, yes. Uh, Tony and I... Uh, co- collaborate on uh, our two semi-annual reports. Uh, so it's uh, it, it really covers the waterfront. It covers manufacturing, 18 industry sectors, and non-manufacturing, 18 industry sectors to cover the full gamut of uh, GNP.
2: We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Tony Nieves, who is the committee chair for the non-manufacturing report on business to hear what his report is expressing, particularly in those areas of import and export. So we'll be back in just a few moments with Manufacturing Talk Radio.
0: Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back.
1: American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778.
5: All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome
0: back to Manufacturing Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, we are going to be joined here by Tony Nieves, as I mentioned before the break. Tony's a committee chair for the Non-Manufacturing Report on Business. Tony, how are you today?
6: Great, thank you.
2: Why don't you share with us, Tony, what your report is saying, and, and particularly uh, Brad was kind enough to give us kind of a broad brushstroke of the entire report. And then touch on imports and exports a little bit to see uh, where those are. And then we have uh, uh, Jock O'Connell on the show with us, who is a uh, international trade advisor with Beacon Economics. I'd like to hear his uh, his response to what you're seeing in your report. Uh, Tony, go ahead.
6: Okay, thank you. Uh, when you look at the overall um, report on business for non-manufacturing, we see that the composite index, uh, which came in at 562 down 3.1 percentage points, that's slightly off of the 12-month average, which was 56.3. And uh, just for our listeners to keep in mind that the composite index is made up of the first uh, four indexes, business activity, new orders, employment, and supplier deliveries equally weighted at 25% each to come up with that uh, composite index. And looking at those four indexes, business activity shows a significant drop uh, 7.2 percentage points to 57.2, down from a very strong 64.4 the uh, month over month. New water is also down 58.9. Uh, employment is holding uh, fairly steady at 56. It's down 0.7 percentage points, and employment is a real uh, indicative, really indicative of this um, particular sector being labor intensive. But when you look at uh, overall, we're seeing some moderation here. Uh, we still have strong growth month over month, um, and not to be overly optimistic, but you know, as the baseline moves on a monthly basis, and we see we've had such strong momentum going into the last quarter of 2014, you know, the question was always, you know, how sustainable was that level of business activity, that strength in the non-manufacturing sector, and whether or not, even though we have seasonal adjustments in here, uh, that this would hold uh, that strength. Uh, for that last month, uh, taking into consideration holiday time and keeping in mind that even though retail is strong as we look at the holiday season, some of the other businesses tend to wane a little bit. Um, and an example of that would be, as you see, engagements in the consulting arena and some of the other uh, industries that make up the uh uh, various uh non you know various industries that make up the non manufacturing sector, whether it be professional scientific technical services management of companies anything like that there 's a little bit of pullback um, with that that lull that we have around the holidays, uh, which is always offset a bit uh, in totality by the the um, retail trade. moving on, looking at some of the other indexes, supplier delivery still slowing not at the same rate uh, Point of contention is inventories unchanged um, this has a lot to do with that burn off of inventory for year-end losing uh, using uh, existing inventories uh, trying to uh, really control uh, cash flow and, and uh, really matching up with what the capacity is at that particular point in time what's really notable is we see prices first time we've had contraction in 62 months over five years and this is uh, directly correlated to fuel prices, uh, the cost of uh, fuel-related products, petroleum-based products. Uh, We're seeing it at the gas pumps. We're definitely seeing it uh, across the board. Has it transposed into lower prices overall? Uh, I don't see that's the total case yet, even though we did extrapolate uh, for the commentary. uh, One particular comment that came out of the transportation and warehousing arena where reduced fuel prices will improve the cash position of the company. Um, and I'll go delve further into the uh, export-imports um, uh, after I, I finish this commentary, but when you look at the backlog of orders, also contracting for the first time in seven months. And uh, overall, again, I'd I like to say that we see this report... Even though it's come down a bit in the rate of growth month over month, it's still uh, indicative of, of a strong position for for the non-manufacturing sector at this point in time.
2: Now now, what how about? The, uh, go ahead,
1: Luke. I was just going to ask uh, regarding the oil pricing at the at the pumps. Uh, we're all located all over the country. Uh, yesterday, I, we happened to notice that uh, regular gas price at the pump had uh, reached a dollar nineteen sorry dollar ninety one 91, uh a gallon. Uh what is it out there in uh Texas and Atlanta and uh uh that you're seeing uh,
3: in Texas I filled up at a dollar seventy nine the other day.
2: You lucky guy you. you I'm paying two nineteen <laughs> in Atlanta <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you guys we're can afford it. We're
6: still over $2 but. here in Los Angeles, so we're still not uh, at that rate where Brad's at.
1: $1.79, that's amazing. Yeah. Driving to Texas to fill your tank.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's good. Um, uh, let uh, let m- me jump in for just a second to sure. build on something that, that Tony emphasized as well, and that is uh, reduction in inventories uh, for you know, inventory control purposes at the end of the year and so on. In the case of manufacturing, I commented on some impact relative to the West Coast port slowdown and the difficulty in getting in some of our raw materials. But also we feature a comment that indicates that because of lower oil prices and the prospect of continuing or even dropping oil prices, are some of our buyers are holding off on buying raw materials in anticipation of, of lower prices in raw materials, which uh, have an oil component or oil implications. Interesting,
2: interesting. Uh, Tony, what are you seeing in your imports and exports before we go to Jock to kind uh, of get uh, his feedback on that?
6: Well. You know, one of the comments that came in from our respondents, uh, and I heard uh, previously what Brad had spoken about in regards to the uh, West Coast ports, you know, the delays at West Coast ports are requiring rerouting to East Coast facilities. And um, we've been through this before where I'm located in the uh, Los Angeles area between the uh, Port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, um, and how back in 2002 uh, where we saw an interruption of service Uh, was initially out of the gate, and then the rerouting kind of put some things in the arrears, but for the most part, um, uh, we were able to withstand that interruption of service, you know, the slowdown. It did lengthen the cycle time, and so, therefore, um, there was more cost associated with with bringing in, you know, the tangible goods, uh, specifically... And and I heard it mentioned by Brad as well with the, uh, with the Asian products. We had furniture and fixtures and lighting and things of that nature that were delayed and had to be routed through other ports or air, air freighted in with, at, at the additional cost. And then overland trucking was also uh, factored into that. So um, it wasn't a huge interruption, but definitely uh, it had a cost impact for sure. And yeah, so, in uh, regards.
2: I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Tony. You weren't
6: I was going to say that the ex- exports and imports, if you look at the indexes, they both came down the same at you know 3.5 percentage points. Um, imports was unchanged month over month. Exports uh, still showing growth. Um, I'm not sure how much of that is attributed to what's going on in, in, in the ports. and, and the, uh, I don't have that kind of detail to really uh, comment specifically on that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck, in terms of uh, Beacon Economics or yourself as an international trade advisor, seeing what's happening at the West Coast ports, are you advising any of your clients on how they should respond to this situation?
4: for the time being, it's sort of sit tight and wait for your cargo to arrive. Um, There's there's not a lot to do right now if you've had your merchandise hung up, uh, except if you're in the position of, uh, as has been noted, air freighting goods from the Far East to, To maintain your operations. Uh, Long term, though, uh, there's an increasing amount of interest on the part of of shippers, the beneficial cargo owners, uh, to divert their cargoes more regularly to Gulf and East Coast ports, uh, especially once the the new set of locks at Panama open uh, probably sometime in 2016. I, I was down there a couple of months ago, and it seemed to me that the Panamanians' expectation that they'd have the The new canal operating by the beginning of uh, – by the end of this year is a little bit far-fetched. There's still a lot of earth to be moved. But uh, even so, probably sometime in 2016, this this new corridor for trade will open up, and it's likely to result in a significant diversion of cargoes moving across uh, – that have been moving through the West Coast ports and into the interior of the country and back into the East Coast. Uh, We'll see more of those being diverted uh, on larger vessels that were able to transit the Panama Canal and go directly to eastern Gulf Coast ports. So that's uh, a sentiment that we also saw back in in 2002 when there was a a lockout and the the ports were closed for several days before President Bush uh, invoked Taft-Hartley and sent them back to work. Uh, there's an elasticity to this. The 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 initial assumption is that well we, we we must be more prudent in our use of ports and import routes if we're dependent upon uh, imported goods. and so the the ship a lot of ship has adopted what was called a four points or a four corner strategy of, of diversifying the ports of entry. Uh, in time that tends, tends to fall back. There's a, there's a regression there back to what makes economic sense for the bottom line. So while it might be prudent not to rely too much upon one particular port complex or one coast, uh, ultimately this goes to a calculation of uh, what's really costing us. And so we saw a lot of cargos returning to the West Coast ports, and particularly to the ports of LA Long Beach, which when they operate normally are quite efficient in moving cargos uh, economically and expeditiously across the United States.
1: Uh, John, so, I, I have a question regarding uh, Panama, being that you brought it up. Um, I, I recently read a report that uh, Panama is instituting a loyalty rewards uh, pricing program for their clients. Is that having to do with the movement of cargo perhaps to the East Coast, as well as the fact that there's going to be a second canal in um, Nicaragua, I believe it is?
4: Yes. Well, we'll see about the canal in Nicaragua. That 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 may be a political ploy rather than anything else. Uh, but in the in the short run, the the Panamanians of uh, the Panama Canal Authority just announced it's uh, uh, the the rate that it's going to be charging once it opens the new canal, and, and it it appears without really getting into the numbers uh, that there's not that much. Uh, the cost-saving to be had. So I think that they, like airlines, they're, they're resorting to a, uh, a system where they're going to reward their frequent flyers. And in this case, they're going to reward uh, by giving volume discounts to uh, shipping lines that, that that bring more cargo through uh, through the port and make it work.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank
4: you. Now, I'm sorry.
2: Uh, Jock, we're hearing that uh, some of the uh, companies who have uh, distribution centers out west are looking at a strategic move to shift those to the east, uh, at least east of the Mississippi, because if you draw a line from Dallas to Chicago, two-thirds of the population of the United States lives east of that line, which means two-thirds of the consumers live east of that line and then bring their goods in through East Coast ports uh, coming up through the Suez Canal. Mm-hmm. Are you hearing any of that from uh, any of your clients or out there in the marketplace?
4: Well, there's certainly a lot of inland development associated with, with ports like Savannah and Charleston, uh, Miami, to, to build up the, the, the what's basically the connective tissue that links the port to the, the markets in the, 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 the counties or states Uh, Behind them, Uh, frequently we we get caught up in thinking about uh, ports as independent entities, but ports are only successful to the extent that they have the rail and highway connections and the resources to process the the, the containers and and other commodities that are being moved through the ports. So we've seen a a large, uh, uh, a large amount of investment going into distribution centers, transloading facilities and also uh, uh, public expenditures in, in upgrading roads and highways and bridges and tunnels that uh, are linking the ports along the eastern Gulf Coast to uh, the interior of the country more efficiently. Ultimately, it comes down to a question of uh, how, how quickly do you want to get your goods to market? And even though you, you're able to move larger vessels to the Panama Canal or certainly bring them all the way around through Suez and directly across the Atlantic, you're talking about having your goods sitting on ships for an extended period of time. And the secret of success of the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, for example, as well as ports in the Pacific Northwest, including those in Canada, is that they offer the opportunity to move containers coming from Asia uh, bound for Chicago and, and points up and down the East Coast, Uh, more expeditiously and and, and indeed more economically than than, uh, uh, by moving them through all water routes directly to east and Gulf Coast ports.
2: So you're expecting that uh, the west coast ports will will still do all right, and I think they will because the the very largest container ships I don't think are going to fit in east coast ports even with dredging. Is that about right?
4: Well, they're, they're dredging to accommodate some fairly large vessels, but the, the, the shipping industry is moving more and more toward adopting these mega-vessels, which uh, uh, the ones that, that uh, currently are applying waterways at a capacity of up to 18,000 TEUs, or 20-foot equivalent unit containers. Uh, there are ships on the drawing board that will increase that to to 22,000. I'm not sure what the engineers, the uh, the, the naval architects say is, is, is the ultimate limit for building these ships, but uh, the industry seems to be ordering more and more of them and retiring smaller vessels, and that will have a substantial impact on, uh, on the trade routes. So we, we may be looking more at, at a hub-and-spoke uh, system for moving goods around where these large vessels will move between a small number of megaports and then discharge their cargoes either uh, intermodally to to move across the country or or they'll they'll move them onto smaller vessels to shuttle them to smaller ports.
2: Understood. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back we'll get a wrap-up from uh, Brad Holcomb on the Manufacturing Report on Business, uh, Tony Nieves on the Non-Manufacturing Report on Business, and Jock O'Connell on the uh, International Trade Situation. So we'll be back uh, shortly with Manufacturing Talk Radio.
0: Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right
5: back. All Metals and Forge Group manufactures open die forgings in blocks, hubs, shafts, flanges, cylinders, gear blanks, and custom forge shapes, including seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless, and tool steels, aluminum, nickel alloys, copper, and titanium for parts and assemblies in aerospace, oil and gas exploration, defense. Machinery, transportation, shipbuilding, energy and power, pulp and paper, and many other industries. Visit steelforge.com or call 800 600 9290. Welcome
0: back to Manufacturing Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back, everyone, and I want to take just a minute with, uh, with you, Brad. Is there anything in your report that is unusual? or is this kind of pretty standard for this time of the year?
3: Well, I think, it's, I think it's, let me just put it this way. It's a great way to finish off a very good year with the PMI at 55.5, again, representative of a 4.1% uh, GDP increase. Um, all the supporting numbers uh, are, are strong as well in the, in the mid to high 50s. Uh, with the only one of the major indexes, that being inventories below 50 at 45.5, and, and we've talked about uh, the reasons uh, for that. So very, very pleased. Uh, it's, it's really, and I think, one of the Bloomberg reporters cast it very nicely. Uh, this is perhaps a more sustainable rate, and I think I heard Tony talk about that as well. Anytime you get into the really high 50s or, or 60, you have to wonder if that's sustainable. We like sustainable numbers. 55.5 certainly fits that description. It's a great way to finish off the year and uh, start off the, the new year.
2: Tony, how about in your report? Was there anything that was uh, not expected that showed up in the report, or is it, again, pretty, uh, pretty standard for... A report coming out at the end of the year
6: well, i think the only thing that um was um, unexpected was how we saw the prices uh, index drop down to 49.5 and again uh really not all that big a surprise when you look at what we were talking about earlier with the prices of fuel with the price of fuel at the pumps and everything else but uh, i i echo brad's sentiment as far as um the uh, finishing up the year with this report and how um The non-manufacturing sector was building momentum all through the year we had a little bit of a dip going back about four or five months ago and then the last quarter really showed some strength Um, we saw the moderation as I mentioned earlier uh, for the month of December and that uh, I think the table is set for um, sustainable growth moving forward into 2015 uh, that uh, Everything I think the only concerns we see right now, and from what our respondents are telling us, is um, you know how the global markets might impact uh, you know the U.S. And I think, but overall, the the right now uh, the non-manufacturing sector has some really good legs, some good strength, uh, and is set up for uh, continuing on this path of uh, sustainable growth for 2015.
1: Well, nobody asked me any. No one asked me any particular questions uh, as the manufacturer, Uh, but I like that number of 49.5 inventory. That means that there's a lot of (laughs) pent-up purchasing in view of the fact that uh, new orders are at uh, 57 and change. Uh, It seems to me there's going to be a lot of purchase orders placed anytime soon. So that's my two cents to this, uh, the the numbers that uh, we've all been (laughs) talking about.
3: Uh, worth at least a nickel
1: absolutely
3: absolutely thank you for that
1: uh, we we uh for the folks who tuned in late to this show uh i do want to mention that uh, we did have a technical glitch and uh however uh we are we still have uh, quite a few minutes left we will be able to podcast on our uh on our uh, website the entire show Uh, even though some of you couldn't hear it. And uh, you can hear it at about an hour, an hour and a half after showtime at mfgtalkradio.com for the entire uh, broadcast. Uh, Tim?
2: Chuck, I just want to talk about uh, oil for a moment, because the oil price has been uh, backing off considerably (coughs) since uh, July or August, and we're now down below $50 a barrel uh on kind of two veins first of all what will happen i mean is this good for the european economy or is this not so good
4: uh it's hard to say what's good for the european economy right now the uh the euro is currently trading under a dollar 20 um certainly anything that would reduce the costs of of manufacturing and transportation would be good for any economy but uh Uh, The EU uh, and the Eurozone in general has some very large fish to fry before they're out of this uh, particular bout of malaise. They've they've been uh, going back and forth into recessionary recessionary circumstances for some time. Uh, What's remarkable, I think, about some of the figures that that Brad and Tony cited is is how different we in the United States are and the direction we're heading uh, from from much of the rest of the global economy. Uh, We'll see... Tomorrow, the trade figures for the month of November, it's likely to show that we'll see a, a, a contraction of, of U.S. exports uh, to world markets that are very sluggish. Uh, and at the same time, we, exporters will be dealing with the consequences of the dollar that has surged in value substantially just within the last several months.
2: Also, I note that uh, Russia's economy is. Uh, at least their budgets were built on uh, the price of oil at uh, $100 a barrel. Is there any, uh, and I don't know how much oil we sell and how much natural gas we sell into Europe, but has there been any discussion that you've heard about uh, increasing exports from the U.S. to uh, Europe? I'm thinking particularly the Ukraine, which would be a little in the Russian states, for gas and oil going to that, uh, that part of the world?
4: Well, it's a delivery problem with the Ukraine since it's uh, stuck in the middle of the the continent. Uh, <clears throat> in general, though, we we the the government's the U.S. government's been lightening up on on regulations that have uh, up until recently prohibited the export of crude oil uh, from the United States. We've been dealing in some finished uh, petroleum products out here on the West Coast. We've seen an increasing demand for. Uh, refined petroleum products uh, going to up and down the the uh, the west coast down to uh, uh, Latin America, to Chile, for example. Um, so we we're, we're we're getting more into the mode of becoming a, an exporter of petroleum products, but for the most part uh, uh, our our trade has, in petroleum products is, is, has not been focused that much upon upon Western Europe or, or Central Europe.
2: I think uh, one of the, the comments I found interesting from uh, Lou some weeks ago when he and I were just chatting casually as a manufacturer, since it would take a lot of forgings to accomplish it, would be to build a pipeline from the U.S. over to Europe, and we could pipe over either oil or natural gas uh, to sell to that part of the world. Um Just to kind of wrap up here because we've got about 10 minutes left, Uh, Brad, anything else in your report that you'd like to share with our audience? And, by the way, we, again, appreciate you being on the show every month to share that report. And we encourage our listeners to go to www.ism.ws to get a copy of that report and also the annual forecast that Brad and Tony recently did. Anything, Brad, uh, else in that report that you want to go into before we uh, move to Tony and kind of wrap up his?
3: Just to build on your your thought, and we always uh, want to invite uh, your listeners to look at the full reports available on the website, again, both the manufacturing and non-manufacturing, as well as the very recent December 9th semiannual report. They're loaded with information uh, on your specific industry and industries overall, uh, again I can't emphasize enough we had a very good year and a great three-year trend which I've mentioned at about a two percent increase in the average PMI from 2012 to 13 to 14 we anticipate you know a similar you know positive uh, momentum going into 2015 and uh, anticipated result so again a uh, appreciate the time to talk about this and to to answer questions Uh, and again invite uh, everyone to look at the reports in detail. Lots of good information.
2: And Brett, I I think there's more uh, on the www.ism.ws website than just your report and Tony's report and the annual report. What other reports are there for the industry to look at?
3: Yes. uh, The ISM organization of course is uh, a membership organization for procurement and supply management professionals, and its purpose is to provide support and education, and continuing education for our members, as well as uh, related publications. Uh, of course, uh, Tony's report and mine are the highlights every month, but seriously, right. uh, there's a uh, Inside Supply Management. Publication, which comes out every month. One can see that on current issues and opportunities and, and success stories uh, from various uh, sectors of both manufacturing and non-manufacturing. So those are available uh, on the website, as well as historical information and data relative to what Tony and I talk about uh, each month.
2: Thanks, Brett. I wanted to make sure that our listening audience understood that. And, Tony, is there anything in your report uh, that you would like to share with our listeners as we wrap up today's show?
6: Well, I think we've covered a a good majority of um, what what is reflective from the non-manufacturing report. I think that we uh, really have to look at the fact that, uh, and as I mentioned uh, earlier on in the show, about how this baseline does move each month. So we're measuring change month over month. So even though we see the rate of growth, um, you know, having a lower uh, uh, percentage to it, uh, we can't look at it as just being a numeric value. It's more about what's that rate going uh, forward each and every month uh, as compared to the prior month. So if you're looking at, say, business activity at 64.4, which is a very, very strong rate, and Brad touched on this, you know, about being in the high 50s is something that's more sustainable, and that is strong rate of growth in its own right and again moving from where the 64.4 level was on the prior month so overall this is a very good report and sometimes it gets twisted a little bit that we've had a little bit of easing or slowing or it's not as strong and it's not as good but uh, I think as I said that the table is set now for uh, everything to be put in place to have some uh, good sustainable growth moving forward into 2015.
1: Uh, Jock, um, we need to have you give us your uh, website information in case any of our listeners would like to uh, look in further into your act- business activities. So if you can give our listeners your URL, I'd appreciate that.
4: Okay, it's it's pretty easy. It's www.jockoconnell all one word, no apostrophe. com
2: and, Josh, anything else you want to share with our listeners as we wrap up today's show about, uh, you know, you picked the topic, imports, exports, international trade, whatever uh, you see as a kind of a hot-button issue?
4: Well, I think we're going to see a contraction of exporting. Uh, clearly, the fact that the, the dollar is uh, has become uh, super strong again, uh, combined with the fact that uh, most of the world's economies are in the doldrums. Uh, they're not buying. The, the demand has shrunk. Uh, At the same time that our products have become more expensive for them to buy, so I think there's no way around the fact that uh, we're looking at a period of declining U.S. export trade. The good news is that as the 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 optimistic figures, the the very positive figures that Brad and Tony cited, suggest, we are to a very large extent, and an unusual extent, uh, an economy that's isolated from what's going on in the rest of the world.
1: So, do you believe positive? Do you believe, Jock, that uh, the U.S. or North American buyers are a strong enough economy to withstand the downturn of other continents?
4: Well, that's a big question. The 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 issue of uh, in income inequality, the fact that wages have not been rising tremendously uh, or significantly in recent years, suggests that while the GDP figures, the overall economy figures that show that we're growing briskly, uh, tells one story. The, the question is, how, how, uh, how resilient are the consumers that drive the U.S. economy? How much are they going to uh, want to purchase and how much are they going to import? So we'll, we'll see that going forward. But the good news uh, as far as that goes is that uh, while the strong dollar prices us out of a lot of overseas markets, uh, it does give us an advantage at buying foreign goods.
2: And that's certainly an advantage. Uh, uh, So you would expect uh, and I would expect imports to grow. Is that right, John?
4: I would expect uh, to see the the trade deficit, the U.S. trade deficit, widen in the months to come uh, as a result of a uh, a shrinking or at least a stagnant export trade uh, combined with a, a new surge of importing as we take advantage of the fact that we can buy more foreign goods at cheaper prices.
2: And uh Lou, anything you'd like to share with our audience from the manufacturer's perspective as we wrap up today's show and uh, roll out of 2014 into 2015?
1: Uh yeah, uh we uh, a- as a manufacturer of uh forged products, uh we had uh ourselves a, a phenomenal year. Uh, we close off the year with the uh, the highest uh, backlog that we 've ever had, and also a very strong uh, sales revenues and uh, You know I look at that uh, forty nine point five number and i 'm jeweling a bit, waiting for <laughs> the purchase orders to start rolling in to uh, fill the uh, the inventory coffers uh, of our customers. So we're we're looking at a, a very favorable uh year ourselves and uh you know the strong backlog the strong backlog of course uh will uh give us a very strong kickoff for uh twenty fifteen. Um I'm almost ready to start looking at twenty sixteen, but I know Brad's not gonna share anything regarding that information <laughs> at this point. So, gentlemen, we we really appreciate uh, your joining us today, and we're sorry about our uh, technical glitch at the beginning of our show. Uh, We will be uh, having the show on uh, our website at mfgtalkradio.com in about an hour, an hour and a half, and you'll be able to hear the whole show. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you next week, uh, Tim. And... um, it's a wrap from New Jersey. And that Thanks process. for
0: joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. The clock is
1: off. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.